Hello and welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are going to broadly tackle this um, this concept of you know appeal to authority, and to really um, help illustrate uh, th this concept, we are going to talk about a very popular science communicator. Um, folks send us his content all the time and ask us, you know, is this real? Um, and so we're going to we're going to chat about it. Uh, and so that person, just so everyone knows, we kick it off right at, at the beginning, is Dr. Andrew Huberman. We'll share a little bit more about his bio, his background, his expertise. Um, but we're actually joined today, it's a full house here at Unbiased SciPod, um, by two other amazing science communicators, uh, Drs. Spencer and Carl Nadolsky, who um, who are who, who make up the docs who lift. I'm sure you, you follow them, I've heard of them before. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, if not, you will now. All right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so if you're not familiar, um, the Nadolsky brothers are both clinicians um, and physicians in, in related fields. So Dr. Spencer Nadolsky is a board-certified family medicine, obesity, and lipidology physician. He recently moved into a new role as a medical director for Weight Watchers. He also runs a fun and informative Instagram where he dispels a lot of myths about weight loss and fitness, um, often using hilarious memes. And you can follow him at, uh, at Dr. Nadolsky. And his brother, Dr. Carl Nadolsky, is a board-certified internal medicine, endocrinology, obesity, and metabolism physician. He is also an assistant professor at Michigan State University, and you can follow him at Dr. Carl Nadolsky. So this conversation kind of started because, um, you know, all of us have collectively been sent recent um, clips or videos or screenshots of things that have come up on the, the Huberman Lab podcast, which is hosted and run by by Andrew Huberman. And, you know, to kind of set the stage, um, you know, Andrew Huberman, he has he is a, a associate professor at Stanford. He has a PhD in neuroscience. He studies um, neuroscience in the context of ophthalmology, and he has a lab at Stanford Medical. Um, he started his podcast in 2021 and was, you know, initially I think the the goal was, you know, trying to make neuroscience more accessible and understanding for people. Um, he's gotten quite a bit of public attention from a variety of celebrity voices. And so, you know, as of now, in early 2024, he has over 5 million followers on Instagram, over 4 million um, subscriptions on YouTube, and his estimated net worth is around $5 million. And so, you know, while his podcast seemed to have started with good intentions and, you know, really was positioned as making science free and accessible, you know, he had garnered a large audience uh, across a wide array of multiple ideologies. But, you know, what we're seeing in trends, um, you know, which, which was kind of brought to our attention collectively um, is that some of the guests that he's brought on and some of the claims made by he and his guests are, are really kind of creeping toward the fringe and pseudoscience. And it becomes really challenging for the general public to really know what's real and what's not. And something that we often talk a lot about is the, the pseudoscience world where a lot of 
the claims made are based on these nuggets of truth, right? We talked about that when we talked about leaky gut on our leaky gut episode. We talked about that when we when we discussed adrenal fatigue. And you know, Carl, I'm sure you can chime in oh, on that. Oh um, but but you know, it, there's there's like a nugget of truth, right? The adrenal glands can not function properly. However, it does not mean that they're becoming tired and, you know, leading to these generic nonspecific symptoms. Yeah. And that's a, it's a very, very, very serious thing if your adrenal axis doesn't work. So that's not just an adrenal fatigue thing. It's a very big deal. And you'll see an endocrinologist. Exactly. And so what, what these, the pseudoscience does, you know, it really does harm public health because what it leads to is people falling prey to these types of misinformation. Um, unfortunately, you know, doing things that may be potentially harmful, taking unregulated treatments, supplements, using diagnostic tests that are going to um, lead them to believe that they need to undertake an extremely restrictive diet and so on and so forth. So, you know, we really wanted to kind of approach this on a how do you know what's real and what's not? And, you know, how do you kind of parse out when claims are maybe not really um, reflecting what the body of evidence says? Can I say one thing? And I know we're really going to get into the, you know, very, some, uh, some specific claims and, and the science of it all. Um, but obviously we all listened to several of, of his episodes to prepare for this. And I just want to say right off the bat, I mean, I do understand the appeal. I, I, you know, I understand why he has millions of followers. I think he's very charismatic and very engaging. And I think that the way he speaks to the audience, like he takes these, you know, here we have a PhD neuroscientist from Stanford who's taking these really complex science medical terms and he's making it more accessible, you know, he, then he, he boils it down. And so where I think, Andrew, where you're saying is where we take issue is that unfortunately, I think a lot of the, you know, scientific integrity is lost during that process of boiling things down. Things are oversimplified or perhaps certain studies that were done, you know, among rats or in petri dishes or whatever are being, ex- you know, extrapolated to humans when we cannot necessarily make that that assumption, right? So, yeah, sorry. Were you going to say something? <laughs> no, I was just, you know, I was just thinking about that and how a lot of it, like you mentioned, it comes down to some of the guests and the way they present these things. And, um, and it's not consistent with the real, you know, clinical relevant uh, guidance that we should be giving to people. So then they, then they take those and they think, Oh my God, this is awesome. And uh, Spencer, are you allowed to use your term uh, baffle with bullshit? That yeah. that's what they do. And it's like, what, so why are they doing that? I don't know, but it, it does end up having conflicts of interest with selling supplements and all these things. And it's, it just is a little bit bizarre because when we, do things. And I'm sure, you know, you guys obviously do the same thing. We don't know everything, right? Right. So we have relatively specific specialties and and interests and training. And even within those, we don't know everything. And so you get guests on that can help, you know, divvy that up a little bit more and give the the best guidance you can or education you can. And so he obviously as a neuroscientist, he knows a lot about that stuff. And he's right. really, really, really smart. But then it's it's the guests he chooses to have on. And it just, boy, it comes across as an agenda. And, and we might know those guests are, you know, somewhat, uh, we should be skeptical of them. But other people won't because they right. they have great backgrounds, too. They're so charismatic. It's, 
they're charismatic yeah. and when people are charismatic you listen to them as opposed yeah. to my brother who is an uncharismatic bore <laughs> oh my god that's <laughs> no but and, and the other thing to point out transformers reference by the way <laughs> anybody <laughs> nobody calls me uncharismatic uncharismatic bore. but I'll, the other thing to note is that if if there are people out there who like seem like they know everything about everything I can promise you, they don't. Yeah, and they the absolutely, and they just don't. And this is what you see. It's it's not just Huberman. You see them all. All the other uh, people Rogan. on Twitter, it's the classic. Yeah, well, Rogan, well, uh, well, but it's not Joe Rogan himself, though. He doesn't think he knows everything about. No, it. it's but it's the same types it's of guests. The same, the similar guests, and they're it's all the on, and, and they're all in the same podcast. Yeah, together and and whatever. So like. If it, but my big red flag is if it seems like this person knows everything about everything, they are completely full of it because they, yeah. they just don't. And they have a very narrow, specific expertise. And yet somehow they get into everything and just somehow yeah. are an expert on everything. It's just not it's not possible. Right. Yeah. So so, you know, I think there's a there's a lot of really great points. And, and Carl, you kind of alluded to this that, you know, they're you know, Huberman and, you know, especially some of his more recent guests, there there are some financial conflicts of interest. Of course, you know, he has multiple sponsors that are, you know, in that wellness space, supplement companies, the continuous glucose monitors, which we've discussed, um, you know, that are not beneficial for people that are, you know, non-diabetic and so on. And, and so there is a financial incentive to kind of push people towards this wellness space. And we know that, wellness actually has a direct correlation to belief in medical conspiracies. And that that's from everything from um, believing that vaccines are harmful and rejecting um, routine vaccinations. We'll talk a little bit about that with his most recent episode on cold and flu. Um, but it's also things like believing that big pharma is out to get you, that um, you start to reject conventional medicine or evidence-based medicine. You start to seek out things like naturopaths and chiropractors. Um, you start to believe in things like cancer conspiracy theories. And so it really is a convergence. And in many ways, you know, this kind of um, gradual progression into this, um, you know, particularly for listener of his, listeners of his podcast, it it's very insidious. And it's not immediately obvious that they've kind of fallen off that that edge of, you know, this was evidence-based and he used to, you know, present data with the stipulation that it was in rodents. And now he is actively omitting that or deliberately misleading listeners that these are human data when they're not. Um, so, you know, it certainly is really complicated and really difficult for kind of the general public to really suss out what's you know, what, what they should be trusting. And I think, you know, Carl, you made a great point is that there's often nuggets of truth in there, right? Like mm -hmm. we know that, <laughs> yeah, like we know exercise is beneficial for people. We know sleep, you know, sleep hygiene is important, but then, you know, people kind of get, get hooked by those sorts of things. Oh yeah, this is practical guidance. And then it's, oh, and you need to take echinacea and vitamin D and zinc. And, and there's no credible body of evidence to suggest yeah. that those things are beneficial. Well, and the irony that absolutely drives me up the wall is that you mentioned the whole big pharma thing. So they all, they all do the marketing false dichotomy of, oh, oh doctors, are, everyone, big pharma's in their pocket. We're all bought and sold. And, you know, they get mad if we get a lunch from them, which I love my lunches from pharma. Uh, did you, know, did you see farm, my so. tweet? Did you see my tweet about how <laughs> like everyone got mad at you? Everybody got yeah. mad because I basically <laughs> said, "Oh, you guys, supplements. You guys are you guys are big by pharma, big pharma shills." And it's like I don't, we don't get paid. Not you know we always yeah. make a joke. Not yet. 
uh, we get yeah, offers, right. but we don't. Even if we did, it would be for education or, or right. advisory roles. You are not allowed to get kickbacks for prescribing no. medicine. So it's, it's a big deal. The, the tweet basically said, hey, you're a big pharma shill and paid off by big pharma. But, oh, look at this guy. He's a genius. He's a podcaster and he's making millions off of worthless supplements. Yeah. And, yeah. and then what, when, what the comments were like, yeah, but you were supposed to be held to a higher uh, uh, degree standard, and, right? Yeah. Standard, yeah. and and I'm like, okay, well, then don't like, don't let these people basically practice medicine yeah. publicly. That, yeah, yeah that's exactly, and and that's, and I think you know we'll get into some of that soon, but you know, I mean, there. I think people often forget that the wellness industry is valued at $5.6 trillion, trillion every year. Um, and it has forecasted growth of between 10 and 15%. And that is dietary supplements. Those are the at-home diagnostic tests like the the microbiome test, which, which I think we, we talked about, um, you know, but you know, these things are not evidence-based and positioning a podcast as being a science communication, science education podcast. And then you're promoting things that are actually not based on science, um, is disingenuous at best and harmful, you know, at worst. So, you know, maybe we can um, hand it over to Spencer and Carl for for one of the more recent episodes, which was with um, Dr. Robert Lustig, and it was about sugar and your health. And I know we all have a lot to say about this, but just very briefly, um, Robert Lustig is a pediatric endocrinologist and has written several books um, that villainize and demonize sugars um, and particularly fructose. And now, hold, hold on right there, though. Spe okay. he, he pronounces it very distinctly. Oh, yes. Spencer? He calls it fructose. fructose. We, we, we had dinner with him many years ago. And we, we, lunch. we came it was lunch. It was lunch. Was it lunch? Whatever. We came away from that going, wow, he really loves fructose. <laughs> Just this was, I, was a, I was a med student. This was 2000, I believe 10. It was 2010. We were at our first like obesity conference we'd ever gone to. And, and somehow presented... we ended up with him. <laughs> well, I know it was just me, my brother and this guy and one other like pretty prominent at the time, uh, low carb kind of uh, zealot. A zealot doctor. Anyway, we had this private lunch with him. The guy, the I can't like, he's a zealot, but like, he is very smart. He knows the biochemical oh, yeah. pathways very well. But the problem is when when you become like fixated on something just like fructose, and you're able to explain, uh, you're ex you're able to explain the science so well, you can imagine why like this guy's this guy's smart as hell. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe him. And he yeah. says it exactly. He says exactly. it with such zeal. My my brother and I were sitting there just going, all right, this guy's smart, but all we could think about was fructose. <laughs> so that our, for the past 15 years, all we go is, all right, get some fructose. Let's get some fructose. Uh, well, you know, it's a it's a great point, right? Because because you know you you know they've they've kind of pigeonholed, right? And then and then it's you know this mental inability to actually entertain data that are contrary to that because they've really kind of built their career on this mm -hmm. premise, right? And so you know this episode. Um, there were some very obvious glaring issues and, and falsehoods. You know, I, I think I talked about um, on my page 
that. They both went saying that 93% of Americans had leaky gut and inflammation. You know, of course, I'm just going to direct people to our long discussion on leaky gut, and that's not a, a medical thing. But, you know, obviously, there's a lot of outdated signs that was in this this episode. Um, so I want to, you know, kind of hand it over to you guys to talk about some of the claims. But, you know, he talks a lot about how, you know, fructose is vestigial. There's no function in the human body that, you know, um, fat is, can be converted into glucose. So you don't actually need to consume any carbohydrates. He also said that, um, you know, fructose is 50% of what you consume is immediately converted into fat. And so I'm going to let you guys talk about de novo lipogen, uh, lipogenesis because that's, you know, your wheelhouse. But, you know, you know, the, the biggest thing is that the thing that stood out to me, right, every time they were trying to make a persuasive claim, they would say, I can prove it, which as a scientist, you never say, right? You say the data suggests, the data indicate this, the body of evidence. It's very cautious phrasing, but this becomes so believable because they have such confidence um, and with, with what they say. And then when you actually look at the, the evidence they're using to prove it, it's an animal study. It's an in vitro study. They're not clinically relevant to what's happening. The, that's the key term that you just use is clinically relevant. So probably most of what Lustig says has real scientific basis. For example, if all we did was drink straight fructose, which is not reality, by the way, right? Yeah. Correct. Can't, Somebody can't even get wrong. straight. Where are you going to get not, straight fructose? Not reality. Not reality. <laughs> so the studies they've done on that, yeah, it, it's different than glucose. It's different than the starches that get you know digested and metabolized. Um, and so, yeah, it's primary metabolized in the in the liver. Um, it replenishes liver glycogen for athletes who know what that means. And yeah, it synthesizes uh, triglycerides. And it is a more potent inducer of liver um, de novo lipogenesis than glucose for that reason. It, what that basically means is it it helps the liver make fat. Make fat. Right? Yeah. And so so then it's then the concerns are you know fatty liver metabolic syndrome all, all these things that we talk about. Um, it's just not reality because even high fructose corn syrup, it, it's, you know, it's a mix of fructose and glucose, yeah. just like, basically just like sucrose, table sugar. And, um, and then when we look at the big picture, ultimately, uh, you know, it, it still comes down to energy balance, yeah, uh, obesity, I, the, you know, and if you want to listen about our thoughts on obesity, you can go to our podcast too. Here, here's what people are going to say. Why are we, why are we mad at him? He's telling people to, to, to not drink, to eat as much and consume as much sugar. And it's like, we're not, and they're going to be like, are you guys saying that sugar is good for you? It's like, we never said that. We're just trying to not demonize yes. a little bits of fructose. <laughs> well, okay. And so then, then what Andrew will then say, right, is, so what is the harm of that? Yes. Right. Well, yeah. what do you think the harm is, Spencer? I, I have my thoughts. Well, I, uh, we don't I, want I don't people think... to drink sugary drinks. We no, don't we don't want, want people to be, but because that's excessive. That's perfect. overwhelming per, people's energy regulation systems, and it's empty calories, right? The the, the harm in demonizing it yeah. causes uh, irregular relationships with food, and yeah. I see this. Obviously, we see the metabolic consequences of obesity. We don't want that. We're not saying yeah. that's good. Right. But I see on the other hand, people are deathly afraid of eating foods that, hey, we're humans and we actually like want to enjoy our lives too. So yeah. like, I, I don't want to do that either. Why can't we, why can't we just go like, hey, 
let's try to minimize these things, have them as a treat once in a while, understand what it is, and let's move on. Like, I don't even more so than that. So, I would even say more harm than that is because where, where do we get fructose from naturally? Fruits and vegetables. <laughs> So then suddenly people go, oh, my God, we shouldn't eat fruit. Spencer had one of our our low-carb zealots. The same one. The same one. The same one one that brought us to see Robert Lester. Spencer, not to eat carrots. I'll never forget. And he was like, I think you, I don't know, you were calling me or something like, what the the hell's going on? No, I was in an appointment with her. I was shadowing her. Oh, that's right. And she told this healthy uh lady hey you should really cut back on the carrots i saw somebody going to uh, diabetic ketoacidosis and i i, I never talk i never talk up as a as a med student i'm usually just listening and i just i just go that that didn't happen <laughs> i was like and i i never do that i never okay. do that but I, I I have, go, that didn't happen that did i have happen. i have an anecdote um because <laughs> i want to because i want to talk because i want to talk about that point because i think you know you're absolutely right on all of those things right you're demonizing these things that are naturally found and and i think people get confused about you know added versus you know exogenous mm-hmm. sources of sugars um, but to your point about carrots, um, I actually went the opposite way in college and I ate so many oh, carrots that I developed carotinemia yeah. and, you turned orange. and I turned orange. Yeah. <laughs> with um, the, uh, pumpkins. Yeah. yeah, that happened with me yeah. and pumpkin, but I also had Hashimoto's yeah. at the time too, yeah. which is well, kind of interesting. Um, so, so, so let me, let me, let me kind of like set, so, so, you know, Fructose is a a sugar, a natural sugar. It is a monosaccharide. And when it forms a glycosidic bond with glucose, that's what makes up sucrose, which is the sugar that's found in your granulated sugar, your cane sugar, and so on. But, but normally it is found in fruits and vegetables, many of them that are very nutritious and healthy. And so, you know, when you hear someone coming across and saying, um, fructose is a weak toxin and 50% of the fructose that you're eating is going to be immediately converted into fat. Now you're saying, well, I shouldn't be eating artichokes. I shouldn't be eating asparagus. I shouldn't be eating all of these fruits and vegetables that have all of the things that we know are really healthful and fiber and micronutrients. And, and so now you're creating this, this fear, um, of, things that people should be incorporating into their diet because you're extrapolating a mechanism that would occur in isolation in a Petri dish, but it's not what actually is happening in people. And And so I think, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, so epidemiological data too. So, so then you go to that before we actually do like feeding trials and stuff. Right. Right. So, so then they say, well, look at the the epidemiologic data. Well, sugary, uh, sugary, sweetened beverages soda yeah. right and we love our diet soda because we would never drink sugary soda for diet this soda. little bit of a reason Sponsor me su- <laughs> so sugary sweetened beverages with lots of high fruit you know with with fructose but also fructose. the you know the, fructose, <laughs> yeah. fructose, um you know strongly associated with obesity metabolic syndrome hypertension lipids fatty liver but when you look at those same huge data meta-analyses of these while those are associated with those problems other sources of fructose are protective, including the fruit, yes. the yogurt, that, let alone that, you know, the vegetables, which obviously just don't have much of anything in them other than fiber, which are amazing. But um, and then even like inflammatory markers yeah. and stuff. And then what's kind of ironic is there's there's, uh, you know, you as the the gut microbiota specialist. Right. Um, there There is a uh, some aspect of uh, microbial dis 
dysbiosis and a factor uh, that has to do with the excess fructose and the harm? Do you know about that? So th there's some thought of that. There's some concern of that. Well, then ironically, if you somehow convince people not to eat their vegetables, fruits, and beans and legumes. Right. Now you're not having fiber. Not even helping the gut microbiome that exactly. we're going to talk about if it's clinically relevant. Or not. I, so I will amazing. say, I've heard him say that, don't worry. I've heard him say, don't worry about fruit and vegetables. So he tries to well, make, good. he does do that. So like, but I think the problem to me still, the problem is the message still gets lost yeah. and that and I, I honestly, if you're going to have a small little bit of treats and whatever, and I have a little bit of fructose in them, I'm not too worried about it. I'm worried about the excess energy balance. So if you're yeah, consuming right. too many of those treats anyway, you overconsume energy in general, regardless mm -hmm. of the differential metabolic processes that fr fructose goes through your body. If you have excess energy intake from too many calories. That, that's that's really the issue yeah. here. Like and, and most of those are, are just overwhelming amounts of excess energy beyond our Everything. metabolic needs. Correct. Yes. And, and they're, they're new, you know, they're not nutrient dense. They're yeah. energy dense, right? So, this goes back to all the same stuff. Yeah. So so you know, I mean, when you actually parse out the data, it's not the sugar, the carbohydrates themselves, it's not even the fructose itself. It's the excess consumption mm -hmm. of things and people not having an active lifestyle, not having a high enough metabolic rate. So you're not actually burning, you know, the calories. It would, the same thing would be true if you were consuming all those excess calories in, in the shape of, of fat or proteins or so on. And so, you know, we're demonizing these molecules, these chemicals that we need for optimal function, right? Like glucose is, glucose and fructose are utilized by our body for a variety of important functions, including they alter proteins in our cells that re are required to communicate, to signal, to, you know, complete processes that are essential. And so now you're kind of scaring people away from these things um, by, by utilizing this really kind of inflammatory language. So, so that's, <laughs> I was just going to comment on that. Yes, please. I'm like trying to, and honestly, Carl, you actually said a lot of what I was going to say, but I think what's interesting um, is what I hear, because you all have a lot of really technical expertise, right? I bring the, the data science expertise and I'm just sort of sitting back and just really trying to think of this as like from a communication standpoint, you're all giving a lot of nuance right now, right? There's context, there's, oh, well, this is okay, except you, know, you have to consider this. And we know that that's not sexy, that's boring. People tune mm. it out. And that's why I think someone like Huberman is so popular yeah. because he makes those very all or none statements. This is good for you. This is bad for you. And I think it allows people, it gives them a sense of this control when in reality, it's all so you know, multifactorial, as we always mm -hmm. say. Sorry, what, Carl, are you going to say something? I wish everybody would read marketing books because I did about five to 10 years ago to try to understand it. And obviously it's done pretty well for me on social media, but I, I'm not nearly as big as I could be because the principles that you look in, in, in the marketing books, these guys play it to such a T. They do such a good job. In fact, they, they fool many other good doctors yeah. and scientists. And, and it's like, oh my God, you guys can't see this. this they're, they're, they're taking pages out of some of the best marketing books there are, the mm -hmm. us versus them. Like, hey, doctors don't, the government and doctors don't want you to be good. They don't want to treat yeah. the root causes. It create, it, they, they're taking pages literally out of marketing books. You can't even make this stuff up. They're, oh, and yeah, they're great the, at it. The movie too. is great that, that does that. Um, did you guys in the past couple of years watch Spirited? It's a Christmas movie with yeah. Ryan Reynolds. It's amazing. He He's does that. That's his job. 
He's a great movie, by the way, in real life. Yeah, you should, you guys got to watch the movie. Anybody look at this? What he does is what all these people do. It's amazing. I'll have to watch that. Oh yeah, it's great Great movie, by the way. (laughs) Fun. Good afternoon. All right, so we're moving on from fructose. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Eat eat your fruit and vegetables. Don't drink sugary drinks. Yeah, we're not telling people to drink. Have some treats once in a while. Once in a while. So people have sugary drinks every now and then, right? We don't need to totally be terrified of, you know, we can't. Exactly. Pepsi. I'll, I'll, I will say that I'm pretty petrified of it um, and, and will not drink any sugary drinks. My but brother hasn't had carbs since 1998. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I eat tons of chocolate. I'd yeah. rather well, get my calories from my fructose from, from milk chocolate than a sugary drink. And, and that's exactly the point. You know, a lot of times when we, you know, because my whole thing is, you know, the vast majority of people don't understand that everything is chemistry, right? And if you utilize that or you exploit that low chemistry knowledge, you can make it sound really scary. But in reality, it's really not scary. It's what allows us to be alive, right? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when we try to demystify this and be like, okay, well, you know, this is a sugar molecule. And in reality, these are all sugars and you're not, they're not inherently harmful. They're found in lots of really good things and they're really important. And the fiber that comes with them is really important to, you know, provide food for your microbiome, which is very important, although people, you know, overstate what they can diagnose with microbiome. And we discussed that already. But, um, you know, it becomes the situation where it's like, when you try to demystify this and alleviate these fears, then it becomes like a you versus them. And it's like, no, you don't have to you know, live your life with the perception that fructose is a toxin because it's not right. Anything can be a toxin at a certain dose, even good things, even water, even, even water. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so having, you know, using those all or nothing statements, yeah, it makes the message simpler, but it's not reality. And, and people live with enough complications and enough stress and anxiety that they shouldn't need to be worrying if they have a cookie every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just take a, a o, 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 Z. <laughs> okay, so, you know, that, I guess, I know we're going to talk about fructose forever, but he did, a, he did have somebody, he talked to him with Lustig about the GLP ones. Did you guys, talk, did you yeah, make some marks in there too? But, 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 you know, when we are going to see, the clinicians are going to see people with insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, type one diabetes. And we will, with our dietitians, help people modify their diet to help them. And so, yeah, some of them can have cookies, but you know what? Yeah, I, I desperately don't want my patients with type two diabetes drinking sugary drinks. I, I don't, but can they get away with it here and there? You know, anything, yes. I, otherwise, no, everyone's gonna be miserable. <laughs> but you're not gonna call it a toxin. Right, of course not. We're gonna say, look, we gotta, we gotta take it easy. Not ideal for your medical condition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways. So, you know, the other thing that that um, you know, I think really kind of you know gives it this air of credibility, and and I want to you know maybe move into the next you know episode is that they often use a lot of jargon, right? And so it sounds like they're doing these really Mm -hmm. thorough, comprehensive summaries of the totality of evidence, um, but in reality, they're kind of just throwing out like unrelated enzymes or chemicals in Mm -hmm. a given pathway. And when you actually look at what they're citing, their references, it's a single animal study, it's a genetically modified mouse model and so on. And, but the general public, they hear all these 
fancy words and they're like, wow, they really like dug into the data. And again, it's this marketing, right? It's this creating this air of legitimacy so that people will buy into what they're telling them. Yeah, baffling um, them with bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't help. The, like Stanford, he has a Stanford lab. hundred percent. That's no, the exact lab. I have no idea. I've never seen I mean, anything. Look, but... look at Lustig and, and Ludwig, and and uh, we're going to talk ah, about. Stanford. I mean, they have really good, credible education backgrounds. Yeah, and yeah. CVs. Yeah, exactly. and how how is the how is the public supposed to understand then, right? You know, they, they cannot, and that's mm -hmm. I think that's really a problem. And social media has really you know sort of set fire to all of this because people have mm -hmm. access to all this information, and then we'll we'll get this message. You know, how do we know what you're saying is true versus this person who has this? They cite right. PubMed. They cite PubMed. It's a it's a petri dish study yeah. that uh, got into a predatory journal, but yeah. it's on PubMed. Exactly. Yeah. We we did a whole thing on that, right? People don't uh, realize that PubMed is just a repository. Just simply being on PubMed does not mean that it's the end all be all, right? Yeah. Right. Um, right. Unless you're citing anything that I've published. Of course, obviously, <laughs> obviously. I mean, and I look, I look at some of the papers that I published like ten years ago, and I'm like, I would shred that if I was an editor <laughs> right now. Um, yeah. So, so let's quickly talk about the Sarah Gottfried episode. Um, you know, because because I oh. also want to make sure that we have time for for the recent episode on cold and flu prevention that he did solo. But he had um, Dr. Sarah Gottfried on, who is an OBGYN. She is very, very. Um, popular because she's written a lot of books about healing your hormones with diet. It often targets menopausal women and women in particular. She has an academic and clinical appointment at Jefferson here in Philadelphia. Um, and, um, you know, on this episode, it was talking about, you know, longevity and vitality and hormones. Um, and, you know, before we get into some of the meat, um, you know, she attributes her, her mentor, and we talked about this with Jen Gunter when we talked about menopause, but her mentor is Christiane Northrup, who is one of the biggest anti-vaccine advocates, activists on the planet. Um, she is one of the disinformation dozen by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, meaning that she deliberately spreads vaccine disinformation um, and profits off of it. And and Sarah Gottfried attributes, you know, her mentorship um, to, to this woman. So um, anyway, I am not a hormone expert, um, but we have people on here that are. And um, so I'd like to maybe hand it over. I know, Jess, you also listened to this one. So maybe you you, you all can kind of take it away with some of the big takeaways or 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 um, patterns that you're noticing with some of these, you know, different guests on different topics. Yeah, and I guess I'll say I am a clinical hormone expert, and I would expect her to act a little bit more like that based on her background. Um, but uh, she definitely apparently plays that role of us versus them. She even made a quote about when something was going on with her and she decided to go do quote unquote her own research and she went down the the quack pathway of uh functional and integrative medicine so so she she says a lot of things that have a scientific basis but the clinical context of it is mostly irrelevant and and ultimately leads to them talking about selling their supplements 
it seemed like to me. That was the whole conversation was about the supplements. And they were even, and I'm sorry, I know I'm jumping the gun and Spencer, I'm sure you have a lot to say, but like talking about buying microbiome Mm -hmm. tests. I mean, oh my God, how is that? How is that even, how is that allowed? They're they're not validated. And talking about how you can use the microbiome to, you know, sorry, and I'm going off topic here, but I think what what, what struck me, and Carl, I think you were getting to this, is like, there, she was just these sweeping generalizations and make like like the microbiome test is telling us that look you know if you if you're taking estrogen it's completely dangerous because we could take a microbiome test and we're seeing all these dangerous biomarkers or whatever you know of, of taking estrogen and throwing out really scary things like oh this causes cancer and it causes all these you know dangerous byproducts to be metabolized in our bodies andrea i sent you a few quotes my jaw was on the floor but then also dipping into concepts or to, um you know feel like epigenetics we don't even know we're just scratching the surface epi- right. uh, surface epigenetics of course this is a budding field yes it's you know it's not woo but we where she they were overstating right. what we know about epigenetics overstating what we know about the microbiome right. yeah so the exactly. biggest the biggest issue with with the microbiome stuff is that there isn't a this is a healthy microbiome profile this is an unhealthy microbiome profile the microbiome is trillions of different microorganisms, hundreds of different species, and the populations are constantly in flux because they are reacting and responding and reproducing as a function of what you're giving them as food in your GI tract. And these at-home microbiome tests have no clinical relevance because there's no standardization and there's no actual accurate way to fully sample every microorganism that's in your GI tract to then say, this profile means you have this disease and this profile means you have this disease or this means you're at higher risk for this. We don't know any of that right now. And so it becomes this kind of diagnosis du jour where they take the fact that we know the microbiome is important. We know that it is participating in a variety of processes, including educating and priming our immune system, including helping to extract and absorb um, nutrients, including to help digest certain um, you know, molecules. And then they say, oh, well, with dysbiosis of your microbiome, you're gonna have this, 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 and this. And that is not what is happening. It's the same conversation when we talked about changes in your microbiome with different foods you're eating, whether it's a nutritive sweetener or a non-nutritive sweetener, those changes don't have a clinical implication because you don't know what those changes mean. It could simply mean at the time you took that stool sample that the bacteria that are better able to metabolize aspartame were reproducing more in the, the person that consume some aspartame. And the other one that is better able to metabolize glucose is reproducing more in the person that just ate some glucose. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to first stay the same because these are living organisms and that it has any indication of any sort of health contribution down the road. Yeah. And and even she, I think once in a while interjects something like, um, now, I think I think they did. Uh, you know, they mentioned the chicken or the egg because a lot of uh, you know what we know about, like with obesity, uh, you know, the the microbiome changes right when people lose their weight and whatnot. What hasn't been shown is what direction the relationship exactly. truly is, and yeah. so you know, so then they they she does mention that I think, but then goes on to start selling his supplements. Right. 
Right. So it's, it's just weird. So again, you know, it's this, it's this, you know, taking something that has a nugget of truth and exaggerating, extrapolating, or in some cases, diminishing the importance of it. Um, and oftentimes, you know, ignoring more robust human evidence, like in the case with fructose, when, you know, epidemiological data have shown that, you know, fructose is not uniquely contributing to any of those health issues. Um, and, and, you know, making these statements that really are scaring the listeners, um, from something that, you know, is probably not going to have a measurable impact on their health. Yeah. And also pushing a bunch of inappropriate, unnecessary tests that have costs and potentially consequences if people act on them. In medicine, we use what we call, you know, uh, clinical suspicion and pre-test probability before we use validated methods of testing for something that we're concerned about. Or we have screening tests that have enough data to say, yes, screening everyone or these people with risk factors will help catch whatever amount of these things that we can fix before it becomes a problem. So one of the things that she keeps talking about is you know, like she said, oh, if I, if I could, I would just have everyone in their adolescence do these bizarre, unvalidated uh, urine and dry urine and, and uh, salivary testing of all sorts of different hormones that we have. And I'm sitting there reading it, going crazy, thinking, what are you looking for? And what are right. you going to tell these people to do? You th- right. like, And she talks about cortisol. Cortisol, right. our stress hormone that comes from our adrenal glands. We we're talking about adrenal fatigue. You know, your pituitary, te- you know, communicates with your adrenal glands to make cortisol. It's our stress hormone. It's exceedingly important. And we don't want tumors or, or uh, medications excessively that give us too much of that. It's really bad. We also need it. It's very important. And, and if you don't test for it in the right clinical context for the right reasons, that, that can cause all sorts of bad problems going down rabbit holes of testing and surgeries and medication that might be unnecessary. Exactly. And that was something we talked about on our um, whole body MRI episode is that, you know, there's this kind of fixation by the wellness industry and this information overload. And, and, you know, as good scientists and good healthcare providers, you know, there are times where over testing is doing harm, right? Because now you're coming up with these innocuous or benign findings or things that actually are not validated or, or interpretable, like, you know, the inside tracker tests, which have no normalization or standardization right. or baseline. And which they people, pushed in this episode. Yes, I know. And then, and then people are taking supplements. They're, they're, you know, introducing restrictive diets. They're, they're possibly seeking out like compounded um, pharmacologicals that are harmful. And so it's, it's doing real harm. It's not simply just, this isn't the full picture of, of what's happening. It is, it's leading people to make bad decisions that are going to cause damage to their health. I am dying for us to talk about the flu episode, okay. but are we are we talking more? Yeah, no, I more. Yeah, no, 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 Carl. Question yeah. from Gottfried that because oh, there, yeah. there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, she just has a lot of red flags that she talks about. So she talks about you know makes a big deal about omega threes in in estrogen. Yep. 
All these things do, of course, play some modest role, but not enough to get people to start going and buying things or or being restrictive. She talks about the blood, urine, fecal tests. And then Huberman says, hey, and by the way, if you say my name, you get 20% off because he gets money if you buy his his inside tracker thing. Right. Um, you know, she again, she talks about everyone going through adolescence should have all these things looked at. What does that even mean? Right. No, please don't. That's not true. You should get evaluated if something is wrong. If you have irregular menstrual cycles, if you're growing hair that you shouldn't be having on your face, you, then you come see us and we evaluate you appropriately. She, she uses the term estrogen dominance, which is not a real thing uh, because she wants to look into that stuff. She talks about measuring, this is this is up your alley, measuring the beta-glucuronidases that, that are in the gut microbiome that, that do, they're real, right? And there are being, they are being studied in the, the microbiome and the relationship with estrogen and metabolites, but there's nothing we're going to do about it right now. We right. want people to eat well, exercise, sleep well. And if you have a problem, we're going to evaluate for a disease state. We don't need to, you know, get people to start doing things all the time. If we can just get them to do good, healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, she talks about, she says, she uses an anecdote. If I had known I was a high cortisol person, I think I would have done things differently. No, she didn't have Cushing's disease or Cushing's syndrome from a pituitary tumor, an adrenal uh, tumor, or taking too much prednisone. Was she stressed out? Could you have uh, situations where your cortisol levels are higher than maybe they should be? That's just a marker of things, and you and we got to do stress reduction stuff. Um I don't know. There, there's just so many things. It's all I mean, marketing. Honestly, this is all marketing. Is. So, and so, then she so put guess... up ashwagandha and rhodiol and fish oil. Right. And, and it's like, so well, okay. The, the interesting thing here is yeah. that, you know, I think the, 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 the theme is that, you know, health is really multifactorial and there are a lot of things um, that are out of everyone's control because everyone is genetically, epigenetically, immunologically unique. Um, people could have the exact same health habits and one person may develop cancer and one may not because of a variety of things. And it becomes this kind of conversation where they lead people to believe first that you have more control over things than you do. And beyond that, instead of looking at the fundamentals, like you just said, Carl, eating well, diverse diet, occasionally indulging as long as the the, the bulk of things are healthy and nutritious and nutrient dense, um, good sleeping, staying up to date on your vaccines, hygiene practices, limiting alcohol, tobacco, etc. And instead of talking about those, they promote supplements which are expensive, don't have evidence to support them, are unregulated, many are adulterated, they don't legally disclose all of their ingredients, they can have harmful interactions with medications or medical conditions. Um, and, and it appears often that, you know, he, he, you know, Huberman has kind of this this uh, perception of, okay, well, I'm bringing on an expert to talk about this topic. But in reality, the expert is not actually an expert on the topic. It, they're they're a, a person that similarly is cherry picking and promoting pseudoscience. So, you know, this is obviously deliberate, but, you know, what, you know, aside from, you know, money and ego and all that, what's what's the motivation? Like, what do you guys think is really kind of pushing all of this? Money, fame, money, give me it all. Money, 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 money. I guess it, it is it is bizarre. And actually it's it makes me a little bit sad because it, I'm embarrassed and we often have to defend other 
you know, doctors and stuff. And like, they're, they're scientists, they're doctors. We should all be on the same team. Right. So it's, it is very frustrating. Well, and it, it erodes the trust, right? Mm -hmm. Overall trust, because, and I think even like this episode, I'm sure people are listening and they're like, okay, so there are these four scientists and, you know, clinicians who are saying this, then you have these other people who are saying this. Honestly, I don't know yeah. how the public makes sense of it. And it sort of seems like we're all just, I mean, you know, making shit up as we go along, yeah. right? And we're not on the same page. And of course, well, yeah. you know, and that and that is why, despite what everyone probably doesn't want to hear, so this here's an unpopular opinion. But this is that is why we have major professional uh, medical organizations get together, get clinicians together to come up with consensus statements, clinical practice guidelines, educational materials. Um, based upon the evidence and based upon expert interpretation of the evidence and how to help other physicians enact that and take care of people and also give health guidance. But the problem is what these people do because they want to sell supplements and whatever, they erode that trust, right? It's us versus them. It's, oh, they're in the pockets of big pharma. Big pharma gave them some money and they wrote the guidelines. Don't trust uh, the mainstream medicine. It's always, it's always the mainstream medicine. It's like, well, okay. I mean, we I guess mainstream meteorology mainstream. told us it was going to be a blizzard and it's not quite here yet, but the, the mainstream supplements. Um, right, it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's interesting because, because um, you know, there there actually have been several recent posts on, um, or recent articles on the absolute lack of data to support the greens powders, the AG1 and all that. And, you know, I mean, yeah. of course, you know, a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork with anecdotes. And, and you know, we talk a lot about the quality of evidence. Um, but, but I think that this is a really good segue into the recent episode, which was a solo episode where Huberman was positioning himself as an expert in infectious diseases and talking about cold and flu prevention. Um, and um, I've talked a lot about that because that's my wheelhouse. Um, but but what I found, you know, interesting, of course, is that, again, there was a lot of jargon. Um, and if you were not, you know, in the field, it might sound credible, but he, you know, obviously does not have an understanding of how the immune system functions. Um, but the biggest issue was, is that, you know, this whole episode was kind of positioned as practical science-based guidance on preventing colds and flus, reducing illness severity. And what instead happened was he downplayed the actual science-based recommendations to prevent respiratory illnesses. He minimized the severity of influenza. He he literally made no mention of the epidemiology of flu, which causes millions, up to 41 million illnesses every single year, nearly a million hospitalizations and over 50,000 deaths every single year. And he literally said, zero of that. Um, he talked about the Spanish flu, the 1918 pandemic flu, which I don't even know why that came up because that was obviously a very different situation. That was a pandemic flu, was not seasonal flu. He, he didn't have really a grasp of flu genetics. Um, and, and that wasn't when we had vaccines. Vaccines didn't come out until the 40s for the flu. Um, but, but on top of that, you know, he likened the flu to common colds, um, which 
if you knew anything about the flu or even had had the flu, you would know that that's not remotely the case. Um, and colds are not just called caused by rhinoviruses. There are many different families of viruses um, that cause colds. But then beyond that, he really undermined the efficacy of the science-based measures, specifically vaccination, which is integral to reducing the mor morbidity and mortality of flu. He, he called them so-called flu shots, first of all, you know, so wow. you're basically alluding to your listeners that they're not real vaccines. He talked a lot about how he didn't think most workplaces had mandates for them, which again, like, are you appealing to the libertarian people that are listening? Um, and then he also said, so every year, and we've talked a lot about the flu, but every year the vaccine is a quadrivalent, meaning it's targeted against four different flu strains, two influenza A's, two influenza B's. Now there are theoretically hundreds of different flu combinations out there based on changes in those proteins on the outside. Um, but even if you get infected with a flu strain that is not a perfect match to the vaccine, because of the diversity of your immune response, you generate what we call a polyclonal response, both with our T-cell immunity and our B-cell immunity, you're still going to have protection against severe outcomes. He says that the flu shot is completely ineffective at combating any other forms of the flu virus, which is absolutely false and you know, just demonstrates a lack of knowledge about immunology. And he could have brought an immunologist on. Um, he said he, he talked to an emergency doctor. He did, yeah. And my so, husband's an ER doc, so don't disparage them. But ER docs are not going to know the first yeah. thing about... CT yeah. scans, and then I see him for incidental adrenal adenomas. So, you know, and... and, and it's, it's just like... It would be like they're not the experts. You just said all sorts of things that I don't remember at all from school. And <laughs> I think I'm son. Consult me. My okay. immunologist, the infectious disease doctors that are mainstream evidence based people, not the crazies, the 99% consensus ones. So right. I'm very interested to see here because I didn't look at this episode. So what the heck did this ER doctor say that somehow s supports this bizarre anti vax? So that they're, not, they're not effective. Yeah, and wasn't it so? So I mean, he and the eyes. He didn't. He didn't quote. He didn't quote the doctor. But but um. So you know, on top of that, he says, you know, he says, um, I don't personally get the flu shot. The reason is because I don't go into environments where I am susceptible to getting the flu. He doesn't work in a hospital or a clinic. He doesn't interact with large numbers of people. So mm. one, isn't he a professor? Doesn't he teach classes? No, I know I he goes to the think, gym. I, like we should look this up. We should actually yeah. do our own little research yeah. here. But I, I'm not but, a. But, but on top of that, breathing, I can't find her board certification. But, but on top of that, he completely ignores the public health of communicable diseases in that it's not just about you, right? You have things that you can spread to other people. So if you don't consider yourself high risk, that's cool. Do you, but you interact with people in a society, right? Um, he also, of course, talks about how the cold and the flu is no big deal. He really fixates on how most people are getting infected through their eyes because they touch their eyes, which he cites one study, which is not a good study, um, and ignores the whole body of evidence that talks about the three main droplet routes of transmission, which is direct, you know, someone respiratory droplets, um, you know, getting onto your hand, then touching your own face. And then there is the, the periodic fomite transmission. Um, but it was a very bizarre 
he was obsessed with, with the he was eyeball. On it. Yeah. Yeah, and, when and there's no evidence really, to support I mean, you that. Know, like Spencer has a real issue with fomites and touching his face. I thought you were going to talk about your fecal oral obsession. <laughs> that was oh. kind of what I was getting at. Your your fecal oral your fomite fecal oral. touching your face. You're always doing that. <laughs> what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> sorry, this is not, this is not technically the Docs Who Lift podcast. So sorry. So yeah. So so then so then on top of that, you know, he after he's like, well, I don't I don't really take it because I'm not high risk and it's no big deal because you know I I get it every you know 18 months or so and you know it's just I can't tell if it's the cold or the flu because the symptoms are the, and it's like that's not actually what happens. He says one thing about the real world effectiveness that you know. Um, it it reduces the risk of contracting the particular flu that's most abundant by about 40 to 60%. But that's not the whole story, right? The real world effectiveness is total flu cases in a population, irrespective of the strain. Um, it's also impacted by the vaccine uptake. And so people like him who are undermining vaccines, that's going to have a tangible uptake. But he doesn't mention the benefits of vaccination compared to the risks of the flu. He mentions nothing about annual deaths due to the flu. He also doesn't talk about the additional benefits, the secondary outcomes, severe illness, hospitalization, death as a result of getting vaccinated. So just to give you the data, flu vaccines on average prevent seven and a half million illnesses. 3.7 million doctor's visits, including urgent care and so on, 105,000 105, hospitalizations, and over 6,000 deaths annually. And that's with the very low vaccine uptake that we see in our population, typically less than 50% of the population. So if we were able to have a concerted message with evidence-based guidance, which someone like him with such a platform and supposedly, you know, scientist, um, you could actually increase that and you would save more lives, you would improve more outcomes. But instead, now you're undermining what the actual consensus data says. And then the second half of the episode was focused on all of the supplements that you could take to boost your immune system. He says bolster instead of boost, but he talks about echinacea. He talks about zinc. He talks about vitamin D. He talks about a whole array of supplements which do not have robust clinical evidence to support their use. Oh, vitamin C also. Um, the robust randomized controlled trials that look at these supplements in the context of preventing or reducing illness severity show no benefit. So he basically says the things that actually have evidence to support them, we don't need to worry about them, but you should take all of these supplements, which, yeah, which don't which have certainly, I mean, there, there, you know, can be benefits and probably minimal harms of those things. But what, you know, my question would be, then why wouldn't he do both, I guess? And did he, did he try to um, cite harms of the vaccines because that's the other thing you know obviously we've spent the last four years everyone getting you know again a, a false dichotomy about like covid vaccines you know people are scared of vaccines because of a lot of people so what did he say why he, he doesn't he as opposed to just, well i don't need it he didn't cite any harms he basically was like well flu's no big deal and i get get the flu or a cold every 18 to 24 months and i take all these supplements and i exercise and, and you know well and he also his whole reason was that he's not in a high you know he doesn't work in a high risk setting i don't right. work in a medical setting yeah but i guess the store that's the, the store 
Right. <laughs> that, you don't go to the gym. You don't. You don't interact with people. You don't have family members. Well, like it's, a lone it's, wolf. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He, he might be, but I, I guess. Yeah, I guess my question would be is still why? I mean, he still didn't make an argument as to why other it's people. It's very libertarian. Yeah. It's a very libertarian take. Yeah, it's well, a very, it's very libertarians, but it doesn't mean you have to be an extremist. Yeah, yeah, but but, but it's this, you know, what, what about fiscal responsibility if we're going right. to go libertarian. So why do we, you know, a lot of people think, oh, doctors, th- th- this is one of the false dichotomies that we want everyone to stay sick so we can make money. Right. No, I don't make any money by being overwhelmed by seeing patients. I don't want people to be sick. I want to fix them. We don't want them. I always joke with patients. Your goal if we're talking about like diabetes and stuff Never is see to me again, right? into remission and fire me, I'll always be here for you. But you know, and, and they get it right. Right. Oncologists do not want people to die of their cancer. We don't want people to go to the hospital for, for right. flu vaccinations. It costs money. We're all losing money. Part of this whole thing is fiscal responsibility. So why wouldn't a libertarian approach want improved fiscal outcomes? And the other thing that I think that, people don't don't factor in or you know don't add the math into this is what about the economic impact of being sick right what about medical bills what about lost wages what about having to pay for daycare because your child is homesick like you know okay you you want to take supplements fine spend your money on supplements there's no evidence to support them whatever but you know you need to also do the things that are evidence-based and and i think the most ironic part is, of course, you know, he he starts the whole episode about, you know, this is science based. And, you know, I was talking about a lot of the false claims made in it and talking about how it was really disappointing that someone with, you know, his his platform, you know, and, and positioning himself as a very science based person, you know, instead really focused on things that that weren't evidence-based, the supplements he talked about, saunas and cold plunges and supplements and, you know, all those sorts of things. And, you know, I was tagged in the comments on his post announcing this episode, and he actually responded to one of the comments that tagged me. Not He didn't respond to me, but he responded to the tag, and he said... So, so someone said the immunologist at Dr. Andre Love has posted recently debunking many of the assertions made in this episode. Touching your eyes, for example, is not a common mechanism. Very, very like generic diplomatic comment. I didn't make it right. Someone else did. And he responded to this person and said, considering that I consulted with three different MDs in preparation for the episode, including one who works in the emergency room with people who have flu. I think I'm going to stay with the material in the episode. So, you know, this I think is really the crux of the problem is that you cannot position your podcast as a science-based episode when you refuse to look at the totality of evidence and are now citing three random individuals, one of which may or may not be a clinician that works in an ED. We don't even know if he's an emergency physician. It just says works in the emergency room with people. It could be a radiologist. We don't know, right? And that was his, and that was his, and that was his, like, this is my evidence. Right. When the actual totality of evidence says the opposition of everything that he's saying. And so, you know, not only is it, is it, like the epitome of arrogance, but it it's the opposite of science-based information. Yeah, it's expert opinion. It's expert expert opinion. We, my brother and I are on these doctors groups. We're on uh, doctors groups on in Facebook, and we are so embarrassed by some of the dumb things these people say. To where I'm like, oh my god, these people went to med school and went through training, and they say the most 
ridiculous, non-scientific things. And it's just, it's embarrassing. So who knows who he consulted? I have no idea. Literally when it's their specialty though. Exactly. Like, can you imagine if, if Huberman had me on and talked about the flu, I'd be like, well, it's really important for people with diabetes to get their flu shots and their pneumonia vaccine. And I got mine because I trust the infectious disease doctors and immunologists that are saying I probably should do it. I'm not the I'm not the expert though, so I'm not going to claim to be. Like, you can at least exactly. look at the studies that have been done. At least, well, yeah. I mean, I, I have access to look it up, but it's an but, appeal you know to I mean. false authority, and they're putting like like you just said, Carl. It's it's the wrong authority in the wrong context, right? So an yeah. ED doc is an authority in the emergency department in a clinical, yeah. you know, in that. Yeah, clinical I'm not, I'm not going to go treat emergency medical <laughs> issues. And you sure as hell don't want us to do that. Exactly, but an ED doc is not going to know. How how the, the if a person is presenting with the flu in the emergency room, what is that ED doc going to know about how that person, how the, the influenza virus was transmitted to that person? So just saying, oh, an ED doc told me it's an appeal to false authority. That's not the right authority in this situation. And again, the general public who may not know better thinks, oh, a doctor said this. So this is this is fact. And that's right. and, a and real I think- issue. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously it, it is a pattern, right? Sarah Godfrey has an MD. She shares misinformation about hormones. Mehmet Oz was a very accomplished cardiac surgeon and he is, you know, the king of charlatans. And he was, let's remind everyone at Columbia medical for decades. Um, so just because you have a degree and, uh, uh, an academic appointment, doesn't say anything about your credibility, especially if when people are politely presenting you with what the totality of evidence on a topic says, you say, well, nah, bro, I'm good because these other three dudes said the other thing. Yeah, I have a question for you. Uh, Somebody also commented when you you and I were somehow responding to people about how he has some sort of uh, public comment area (laughs) and that that's where we're supposed to do it. But I just said, now we're going to make a podcast about it because I don't I don't think he doesn't seem to interact with that. But but also he only responds to the people that support him or asking these questions that allow him to elaborate, because when he's posed with can you respond to what the evidence says? He goes, well, no, I asked these three MDs, so I, I'm not interested. He's not actually interested in public mm-hmm. comment unless it supports or allows him to continue to exaggerate the claims that he's making. Um, and, and I think the biggest issue is that he's doing it under the guise of being science. He got he got destroyed on Twitter for that those flu shot comments, by the way. Oh, really? So many really? doctors who know this stuff very well were just trashing him. It, it, because it's like, oh, you're you're gonna go against the one thing that's like makes the biggest difference, the flu right. shot. Right. Like, get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. okay, you want to hype up your supplements? I mean, there are harms in you know supplements. You know, especially harms many in of- my wallet. Right, exactly. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with the supplements, but whatever. Like, you want to hype that up in the back half of your episode, but like doing that after telling people that there's no benefit to getting the flu shot. I I don't know how you can actually, I mean, I think this really was like cherry on top of like, how can you pretend to be a scientist when this is one of the most unequivocal, unequivocally 
um, you know, evidence-based recommendations, you know, and, and the timing is great because ACIP just came out with their newest recommendations and it includes an annual flu shot for everyone six months and older every year. Also during peak respiratory illness season and during a time when we're looking at the lowest vaccine uptake, right? Huge surge right now, huge surge right now in all respiratory illnesses. It's, it's, it's um, reckless and irresponsible, and and it's and it's going to cause people to die. Unfortunately, yeah, it is too bad that he chose that hill to die on. I guess because that's that that is such an important thing, and and he does have a huge following, and he right. is really smart, and people listen to him. Same with Rogan and all these guys. It's like if they would just put put their powers into good instead of evil. Right. We'd have a lot of good things happen. It's too well, bad. And, and Carl, to your point, he does have how many millions of people follow him. And I mm-hmm. think the most dangerous thing about that episode was, as Andrea, you said many times, that he kept saying multiple times, I don't get the flu shot. So right. even the people who are going to tune out any of the science mm-hmm. stuff, this, that's what they're going to hear. Stanford neuroscientist said he doesn't get the flu shot, so I'm not going to get the flu shot, right? And that's, and that's, you know, so many people are like, well, he didn't actively discourage people. He didn't tell people to not get the flu shot. It's leading by example. He's got people who idolize him and they view him as this, some, this, this demigod of science. And if he's saying there's no benefit, he doesn't mention how many people die every year of the flu. And then he says, I don't get it because no big deal then they're going to do exactly the same. Right. Yeah, and if they find out Spencer gets the flu shot and realize what his uh, smell is like, then... What, what are you talking because about? Because you, you don't smell very good and, you know, they just kind of stink. I'm just joking. Please get your flu shots. <laughs> so, Carl and Spencer, do you have any other, you know, thoughts or anything that you want to say on this topic of whatever? Well, it's... And that with, you know, talk about the mark, like, well, how are these guys marketing this stuff? And, you know, you know, because you, you know, you're the one that dug into all that stuff and you understand how they're doing it and, and what can we all do to better fight the misinformation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's really an uphill battle, right? Cause sometimes we'll even change like the phrasing and we'll make more definitive statements. It's like, well, how can you say that? Because there's a 0.0001% chance of an adverse event. And it's like, okay, we're just like, you know, we, there's no, there's no winning, right? Like, you know, we're constantly talking about how everything is nuanced and multifactorial and people want these black and white statements, but in reality, they want the ones that kind of, you know, fit their preconceived biases or, or support these um, opinions that they have. And, and it's very problematic when it is platformed by people who sound very credible and, and have a lot of credentials after their name. And I don't yeah. think it hurts that he's a, you know, a, a beefy, you know, charismatic male PhD neuroscientist at Stanford. Again, I'm sorry to, to throw that in there to the mix, but I do think that people respond to him differently than they do to, to you know, Andrea and me. Um, they, they, you know, they have no problem coming for us uh, viciously, but I'm sorry. Um, someone else was going to say something and I interrupted. Jeez, Jess, why sorry. don't you just come on? Sorry. Beefy. I said... I do, I do, I do think, um, I do think our public health sector needs to learn these marketing skills. We need to somehow gain the trust back of the American people. I don't know how that's going to happen anytime soon. There's a lot of mistrust. So when you, 
when you start going this other way, it's really easy to fall into that trap. Unfortunately, people don't learn this until uh, the shit hits the fan type of thing. Something bad happens. I had, I've had friends die of COVID and, and, uh, and they didn't get the vaccine. And it's just like, oh man, like it's too late now. Yeah. You can't do that. And, and it's just because they fell into that conspiracy yeah. trap and it's like, God, that's really sad. Yeah. And so, um, we, we, teaching critical thinking skills to kids and yeah. cause, but the thing is, I mean, again, there are very smart people. I remember a few years ago when Huberman started getting big and they started posting his podcast and I was like, I DM them going like, you actually think this is like legit. This is pseudoscience. This right. is, this, this is, they're not saying anything right here. This is, right. this is legit. Just taking a little bit of data and making a, a mountain out of the little molehill that is uh, petri dish data, right. uh, and you don't you don't see that. Think, think, and and they did it. And these are smart people, yeah. and so it's if if these smart people who I think are should be smart people are thinking this way, I don't know. So um, critical thinking skills, being skeptical, it's just it's it's a it's it's a skill that needs to be learned, and, um, and we need to do, and we need other more prominent people to just be more charismatic like that. Learn from some of that. I just some of the, the the more grounded science-based stuff isn't as sexy when you can't talk about nebulous microbiome and you and you take the fun out of it it's uh, it's not as fun so yeah, it's, it's not it's not as fun to just tell people hey we're, let's work on your nutrition let's improve your <laughs> exercise let's do stress reduction and let's use uh, evaluations and medical therapy or surgical therapy as indicated based upon the data that's boring they oh, they no. end up coming to us though eventually go through these cycles yeah. oh i did this all diet oh i followed this person i followed this person and it wasn't until you know i realized all this stuff was kind of magical thinking and i landed upon you and i really appreciate it and it's like that's that's my shtick that's our shtick is trying to be science-based and trying to be that and so unfortunately we're never probably going to have as many millions of followers because right. we're just never we're, we have scruples we have integrity and that's the bottom yeah. line people are gonna be, there's probably people listening to this going right oh yeah know, you guys are just haters <laughs> jealous it's like yeah look i think it just goes to show that it doesn't really matter where you get the, your degree from if you're yeah. you, pseudoscience is pseudoscience whatever you want to do yeah. absolutely but yeah we definitely got to do a better job of of educating i mean yeah i you know in the endocrine field obviously i get all the people who went down the rabbit hole of thinking they have all these different diseases because they did dutch testing and and right. your dried urine testing with sarah godfried and all these things and so then now we're spending tons of money making sure they don't have a disease process right. and then educating them on the actual what we're what we're trying to figure out for them ultimately you know what ends up happening a lot of times we talk about their nutrition yeah. exercise sleep stress reduction but once in a while there are people with serious disease that don't get treated appropriately on time in the real mainstream medical community because they went this alternative route that's and amazing. that's more sad to me it happens it's horrible yeah. Yeah. We, we've talked about that a lot in the context of, um, you know, the chronic Lyme disease and obviously there's a convergence, right. With these pseudoscience diagnoses, you know, the toxic mold and the adrenal fatigue and the, you know, obviously we won't, we won't get into that, but, but yeah, it becomes, um, you know, they're, they're vulnerable, right. They don't feel well, you know, they're, they're looking for someone with answers and then they kind of fall down this, this rabbit hole because they feel like they haven't been listened to or their concerns haven't right. gotten addressed. And it, it's very predatory, unfortunately, and, and it really can do harm. 
And it makes people think that, you know, conventional medical doctors, practitioners like yourselves are, you know, you're not listening. You don't believe me. You know, they have had these seeds planted from alternative practitioners like, oh, there are these other things going on and causing this. And when you don't feed into that, I think it sometimes comes through as, you know, they don't believe me. They think I'm lying. You know, it's they're invalidating my experience. And it's the whole thing is so incredibly frustrating because, of course, that's not the case. Um, anyway, this was really fun, guys. And I honestly, I kind of feel like we're like at a bar or I want to go meet up for a drink. <laughs> or something. Jeez, just all that beer. Yeah. Got all you right. into I know, I'm thirsty. I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty now. Thank you all for this, this really comprehensive discussion. I hope that this is useful for everyone who tunes in. Um, you know, it can be really, really challenging to, to parse out what's real, what's pseudoscience, what's being exaggerated, but it's always important to keep in mind, you know, what's the clinical relevance? What's the implication for your health? Look at the body of evidence and not simply just what a few prominent people are saying. Um, I know that there is distrust, but again, notoriety is not expertise. So thank you to the Nadolsky brothers um, for joining us. We, we hope our listeners learned a thing or two. Make sure to tune into the Docs Who Lift podcast and follow uh, Spencer and Carl at, um, I'm going to, at, at, <laughs> Sorry, at Dr. Nadolsky for Spencer and at Dr. Carl Nadolsky for Carl. Um, and make sure to follow us on all of our channels. It's at Unbiased SciPod. If you want to um, check out our Substack, you can find that on our website. We also have our snarky merch and our um, complete source database where you can find peer-reviewed and evidence-based information for every in every topic we have covered, and that is at www.unbiasedsidepod.com. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no-nonsense, just science.